morning. I'm extremely excited to be here this morning. I appreciate you all being here this morning. I hope you're as excited to be here as I am. I hope this morning that as we study God's Word that I have something that I can present to you, something that uh, you can find applicable to your life, something that you can put into your life, and we can all be better Christians because of it. This morning, I want to talk to you for just a minute. For just a second, I want you to imagine yourself as a fisherman. You're going to go out onto Lake Louisville. The weather's perfect outside. You get your tackle box in one hand, you get your fishing pole in another, and you're going out there. weather's perfect, and you get onto that dock. So you get down, and you're going to dress your hook up, tie your, tie your fisherman's knot on your hook. You put a little spinner on, your bait, on, the, on, on that hook to try and attract the fish. Next, you might put a little skirt on the hook to disguise the, disguise the hook. And then you're going to put a worm on there. And that worm's going to make it tasteful to that fish. Then you're going to throw your fishing rod, or you're going to throw the line out into the water. It's going to splash, in that, and then you're going to start working your magic. You're going to start reeling it in, slowly, slowly. And then you're going to, you may jerk it a little bit. All the time, what you're trying to do is tempt that fish. You're trying to make it irresistible for that fish to bite on, to not bite on there. You're doing everything you can to make it impossible for that fish to not just want to latch onto it. And eventually, that fish gives into temptation. Your presentation is so good that it latches on there and you drag him up. That fish is caught. He's done for. In our Christian lives, this happens a lot. The devil is going to try and tempt us, and we have to do everything in our power to try and resist that temptation. This morning, I want to talk to you about be wearing of the hook. Can we turn these lights off for them? This is King Solomon. What do you think about when you think about King Solomon? I think about his fame. He's a famous person. I think about all the people that he was under, that he led, his leadership that he had, the importance that he had, the wealth that he had. But also, I think about the wisdom that Solomon had. The Bible says in 1 Kings 4, 29 through 31, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. He was wiser than all men. What do you think about when you think about someone that, someone that is wise? I think about my granddad. Anytime I needed help changing the oil in my car, he knew exactly the steps to take. He could tell me how to change the brakes, how to replace a tire, even computer problems. He could tell me how to do that. He was a, he's a wise guy. I also think about people like Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. These guys, they turned their little garage companies into these multi-billion dollar industries. Pretty smart guys to be able to do that. But Solomon, Solomon was wiser than these people. Solomon's wiser than any any person that's lived. But guess what? Solomon had a problem. He had a big problem. Turn and read about that. First Kings chapter eleven verses one to one through two. It says, "But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of the Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites." 
Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely will they turn away your hearts after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father. His wives turned away his heart. Solomon's problem was that he loved women. Now, do you think Solomon had the intention of just moving away from God? Do you think Solomon wanted to turn away from God? I don't think he did. I think what happened is, one by one, each of these women turned away his heart. Each of these women came from different places, from these different uh, tribes that we read about a minute ago. Each one of them bringing their different religion. Each one of them bringing their different traditions with them. And eventually, those 700 wives, 300 concubines, slowly, one by one, they turned away Solomon's heart from God. Solomon eventually didn't know what he believed because he had so many idols built. He worshipped so many different gods. His wives worshipped so many different gods. Something in our lives. Think about something in your life that, that does that. I think about maybe cursing, cussing. Maybe one word slips, and eventually another one slips, and eventually more and more and more, until eventually you have a dialect or dialogue full of filthy words. Does that happen? Other things in your life similar to that happen? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, such as common, except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful. God is faithful. Do you know that promise? We read this, this verse all the time. But do you understand that that's a promise from God? That God is not going to let you be tempted more than you are able. But time and time again, we find ourselves falling into these these temptations, given into these temptations, given into our lusts, even though God has promised us that He's not going to let us. But why do we? What do we do that causes us to fall? What causes us to leave God? What clicks inside of our mind that causes us to? forsake God and go after these other things, things that our body is wanting us to do, things that the devil wants us to do. First thing I want to talk to you about this morning is that we make provision for the flesh. Galatians 5 verse 17 says, For the, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. You know what this is what I'm talking about here? Your body or your, your spirit and your heart, they're saying, don't do it, don't do it. But then, on the other hand, you have your body saying, do it, do it, do it. I kind of think about those old Disney movies where you have the two consciences on the shoulders. You have the devil on one side and you have the, the angel on the other. And they're warring at each other trying to tell you, tell your body what to do. Tell your mind to make up the decision whether you should fall into that temptation or whether you should uh, pursue on. Sometimes, when that fight is happening between our flesh and our spirit, we still give in. We still give in to our bodies. 
This is Jimmy. Jimmy's in kindergarten, and Jimmy lives with his parents in this little house right here next to this river. And one day, Jimmy, and Jimmy loves to, to swim in this river. And one day, Jimmy's dad comes to me and says, Jimmy, it's just too dangerous. You can't swim in that river any, anymore. People have gotten hurt in that river. I just don't want you swimming in there anymore. And Jimmy says, okay, Dad, I won't. The next day, Jimmy comes uh, home, and he's carrying a wet bathing suit. And Jimmy's dad says, Jimmy, I thought I told you not to swim in there anymore. And he said, you did, Dad. And Jimmy's dad says, well, why did you? And he said, well... I had my bathing suit with me, and I just couldn't resist the temptation. And Jimmy's dad said, well, why'd you bring your bathing suit with you? Jimmy said, so I'd be able to swim in case I was tempted. And a lot of time, we do that in our lives. We make provision for our flesh. We allow ourselves these opportunities to sin. We give ourselves a way out. So I think about something in our lives. Maybe... Uh, Maybe you leave a CD in the car. You know that CD has bad thoughts, it has bad words in it, but maybe you just leave it in your car. Just in case you say, well, I'll just listen to the radio, but time and time again, you revert back to that CD because maybe you don't have any radio stations around. And do you do things like that in your life? Another thing that I thought of is back whenever I was in college, I liked to go on diets. I would go on these, like, every six weeks or so, I'd get the courage and the thought that I wanted to go on a diet. And so what I would do is I would get all the unhealthy food out. I'd get all the chocolate out of the house, all the all the sugar, and I'd just have protein and green stuff, good stuff for me. But every time I would leave something, I'd put a little Reese's peanut butter cup in the freezer or a brownie on top of the fridge just so I'd have something to go back for whenever I was tempted. Whenever I knew I was going to be weak, I allowed myself that way out. In your, sin, in your Christian lives, you give yourself cheats. You put things in your lives that are going to allow you to, to fall into that temptation. I hope not. Let's look at Romans 13, verse 14. It says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust." Maybe you're young, you're a teenager, and you're just starting dating in here. Maybe that could be, don't watch a movie in an unsupervised room. Watch a movie in the living room with mom and dad. It's just not worth having that temptation there. There's a lot of other examples we can use for that. Think about something in your life where you have to not make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Back when I was in college, I would referee high school basketball games and college basketball games. And a lot of times, things would happen, and players would get heated after running up and down the court for uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Matt knows what I'm talking about. Players get heated. Their tempers start flying. Sometimes elbows get swung. People get frustrated. And it was my job as a referee to control that, to make sure that things like things didn't get out of control. We called that preventive officiating. When these when we saw that tempers were starting to fly and people were getting mad, maybe at the next dead ball, we'd step in between those two guys and say, Hey guys, is everything good? This is just a game. We're watching you. And what this did is it made sure that they knew that I was that I was watching them. It took out any uh, any 
thing in their body that wanted them to lash out, lash out at the other one, and it prevented them from having conflict, prevented them from getting into a fight, doing something they didn't want to do, just in the heat of the moment. In our Christian lives, we can do the same thing. We can go back, we can look at our lives, and we can check. We can check and see how we're doing. If there's things in our lives that we need to remove, things in our lives that are going to cause us to fall into temptation even more. And the boy in the canal, he could have just prevented his situation by just not taking his bathing suit with him. In your Christian lives, I hope that you will do everything that you can to remove these provisions that you might make for yourself to sin. Another thing that we do, or alongside of making provision for the flesh, another thing we do is we surround ourselves with bad influences. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I'm going to take this evil company out, and I want you to insert words there that mean that have meaning in your life. Maybe it's something like evil friends corrupt good habits. That's the truth. Back in high school, back in college, people were wanting me to go to parties. People were saying, well, just have one drink. Just do one thing. That's corrupting my Christian life. God doesn't want that to happen, but they were warned against God. They were saying, do this, do this. Evil friends corrupt good habits. What about evil teachers? Evil music. There's a lot of filthy music out there. Things that we shouldn't be listening to. Things that are going to get in our mind, corrupt our mind. We have to be careful with that. Evil music corrupts good habits. What about TV shows? There's a lot of bad things on TV that you can watch. A lot of things that that will corrupt your life, put sin into your lives. I think about maybe Two and a Half Men. Pretty rough show. Charlie Sheen in this, he plays a playboy that basically gets anything that he wants. He gets as many women that he wants. He drinks all the time. And every night when I was in college, I would turn this on. A group of guys at school, we'd watch this. Every night, I'd invite him into my house. If Charlie Sheen lived next door to me, would I invite him over? Would he be a friend that I would want to have over? I don't think so. I think we have to, to check that in our lives as we're watching these TV shows. What, is this something that I want to be associated with? Is this someone who I'd be a friend of if they lived next door? Let's look at James 1, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The devil, sorry, I missed that, by his own desires. The devil, he's going to use things that you like, things that you desire. You know, if Michael Stallings were to go back there in the back, he pulled out this big bowl of steamed carrots. You think that's going to tempt me? I hate steamed carrots. I loathe steamed carrots. There's nothing about steamed carrots that I like. That's not something that's going to tempt me. But if Yancey were to be back there and he got this cookies and cream ice cream and he slowly scooped it into a bowl, three scoops, and then he throws some whipped cream on there and some brownies, some caramel syrup, that's something that would tempt me. That's probably something that's going to tempt anyone in this room. We love sweet stuff. You know, the devil's not going to go to Michael and tempt him through a chick flick. 
he's going to tempt him through some action movie, some drama movie that's, that he enjoys watching. Same thing in our lives. The devil is going to use whatever you like as a way into your life to tempt you. We have to be careful of that. We have to always be on the watch for that. Watch this movie a few years ago. It's called Fireproof. In this movie, there's a guy named Caleb and his wife. They've been having these marital problems for the last several months. And at one point, Caleb is just so fed up with it. He's tired of it. And he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I, I just can't do it anymore. We're just not going to make it. We just don't enjoy each other anymore. We're going to get a divorce. Caleb's dad comes to him and says, Well, give me 40 days. All I want from you is 40 days. And if you're still unhappy after those 40 days, you can do what you want. Caleb's dad gives him this book. And it's 40 different things. It's called The Love Dare. And it's 40 different days of devotionals. And every day... It has something that Caleb's going to work on. Something that's going to improve Caleb's marriage. So Caleb says, okay, Dad, I'll do that. So one, several weeks have passed, and Caleb's been very faithful to this. He's been working. He's been trying to improve his marriage. And then one day, Caleb's sitting there, and he's wanting to buy a new boat. So Caleb gets on the computer, and he starts typing, and a pop-up comes up. Something that Caleb desires. It's something that Caleb enjoys what, he, enjoys what he's seeing. It's something that's going to tempt Caleb. But because Caleb's been working, because he's been trying to do things right, Caleb says, you know what, this isn't right. He goes and he opens his book. The first thing that book for that day says is remove anything in your life that is going to tempt you. That's what Caleb does. That moment, Caleb rips all the cords out of the computer. He drags his computer outside and he sets it on a table. He gets a baseball bat. Caleb says, okay, God. At one point, video didn't work, but Caleb sits there and he beats the computer. He destroys that computer. That that computer is not going to be able to tempt him anymore. That's one less route that the devil is going to take to get to Caleb. He can't can't go through his computer anymore. Sometimes in our lives, that's what we're going to have to do. We have to do drastic things like that in our lives prevent us from falling into temptation, to prevent us from sinning. The Bible talks in this, about this same concept. Let's turn over and look at Matthew 5, verse 27 through 28. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Next it says, If you're right, I have caused you to sin, pluck it out and cast it far from you. For it is more profitable that you that one of your members perish, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Then the next verse says, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it far from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. This is pretty radical. Just cutting your arm off, because it, that's one way that the, the devil's going to tempt you. One, thing, one way that, the, that you're going to be banished from heaven poking your eye out, that's pretty radical. This is Aaron Ralston. And Aaron, he really enjoys hiking. He enjoys climbing these mountains. And he goes down to Utah a lot and he climbs through those those uh, canyons. And one day Aaron's down in those canyons and he's climbing through this three foot space there that you can see. And eventually 
everything shifts. All the boulders shift, and Aaron finds himself pinned underneath the rock. His arm is trapped between the canyon and that boulder. And for six days, Aaron's trapped there. He had a little bit of water, a little bit of food. But after six days, everything had run out. Aaron was going to die if he did not do something. There was no one around. It's in the middle of nowhere. No help was going to come to him. So what does Aaron do? Does he die? No. Aaron gets his pocket knife out. He goes at it. He removes his arm. But guess what? Aaron got away. Aaron was able to survive. He doesn't have his arm anymore, but he has his life. In our Christian lives, are we dedicated to go to those type of drastic measures to prevent our bodies from going to heaven, from going to hell? Sometimes it takes things like that. We have to be able to cut ourselves off from hell. We have to be able to amputate sin, just like Aaron was able to amputate his arm to be able to himself from going to hell. So we talked about making provision for the flesh. And we also surround ourselves with bad influences. But another thing that we do is we put ourselves in bad situations. You know what I'm talking about? This is Abraham and Lot. If you remember the story of Abraham and Lot, Abraham and Lot, they had been traveling together and their herdsmen were having problems. They were having conflicts with each other because there just wasn't enough space for that many people. So, Abraham comes to Lot and he says, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'm going to go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. So he gives this option to Lot so that there won't be any more conflict between the herdsmen there. Genesis 13, verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. Now Lot looked at this and said, that's a pretty good place. That's where I want to set up. There's a lot of good uh, resources there. My family will be able to, I'll be able to provide for my family for a long time. It's a good place. But guess what? Lot knew that this place was evil. He knew that Sodom was there, but he thought, I'll be okay. My family will be okay. So then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. They go their separate ways. Lot goes towards Sodom, and Abraham goes the other way. The Bible says next, Genesis 13, verses 12 through 13, And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. It's a bad place. But Lot didn't start out in Sodom. He slowly moved his family. He slowly moved that tribe into Sodom. Lot thought that he was impenetrable. So then, after all this evil is in Sodom, God uh, God sees this and He says, I just have to. And he goes to Abraham. He tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. But Abraham says, hey God, Lot's there. You can't destroy it. So Abraham says to God, Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham says to God, if I can find 
50 righteous people. If I can find 50 righteous people, will you still destroy it? Abraham, or God tells Abraham, no, if you can find 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. He does the same thing with 40. With 30. If you can find 30 righteous people, then I won't destroy it. 20. He gets all the way down to 10. If you can find 10 righteous people, then I won't destroy it. I'll save Lot. Abraham couldn't do it. Not even 10 righteous people in this place. Why in the world would Lot move his family, his loved ones, into this situation where there's not 10 people that are righteous? You know, yeah, it was a good financial opportunity. It provided a good living for Lot and all of his people. In your lives, are you planning on doing this? Are you planning on moving away somewhere where, yeah, it may be a good business opportunity, but, you know, what's going to happen to my family? There's not going to be a church there. I hope not. We know the rest of this story. Genesis 19, verses 24 through 26. And Lord, the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind, and she became a pillar of salt. Just because Lot thought that his family was impenetrable, just thought he thought his family would be able to make it, Lot lost his family. He thought he'd be okay. This this point, putting yourself in a bad situation, is different than my first point because Lot hated this sin. Let's look here at Second uh, Peter 2, verse 8. It says, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And tormented his soul. He hated what they were doing. He hated the sin that they were committing, but he tolerated it. He tolerated it until he lost his family. In your lives, are you tolerating sin? What about with R-rated movies? Do you watch these R-rated movies? There's a lot of things in those R-rated movies that you shouldn't be watching. But sometimes we tell ourselves, you know, I'll be okay. I can tune it out. I can tune out all the bad parts. I can get used to the cuss and it'll be okay. A lot of times, that turns us towards sin. What about alcohol? Are you tolerating alcohol in your life? You know, a lot of these chronic alcoholics, they didn't just start out by saying, you know, I want cirrhosis in my liver. But eventually, one drink leads to another and another, two this time and four next time, until one, one after another, they damage their liver. They damage their lives. They become slaves to their alcohol. In your Christian lives, there's things like this. Maybe it's not already in movies. Maybe it's not alcohol. But a lot of times we tolerate sin. We have to not do that. We have to remove that. We have to not participate in these things. The Bible says in Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 16, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. Here he says six times, do not. Do not enter in the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away. Pass on. He's trying to make a point here. He's trying to say, don't go this way. Six times. Don't put yourself on that path. It's going to lead for a greater temptation. So, have you 
made provision for the flesh? Are you surrounded by ungodly influences? Are you in a bad situation? What can you do? What do you do in your lives? Let's look at that for a second. Here's a man named Joseph. And do you remember that story where uh, Potiphar, he had left the city. He had left his house, and his wife was still there, but Joseph, he goes into the house to do some work. It says, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were inside. No one was in the house but Joseph and Potiphar's wife. This is the time when the devil decides that he's going to tempt Joseph. He's going to use that situation to try and get Joseph to fall into sin, to commit adultery. How did Joseph respond? She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But she left his, his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He ran outside. You know, I think about, I don't know how many of y'all have seen Jurassic Park, but that, that, at that point when the fences get shut down, all the power's out, and that Tyrannosaurus Rex gets out of the cage, and he's running after all the gang. They were using every bean of their body, all their muscles, to get out of there. They didn't want to get eaten. What about Finding Nemo? Finding Nemo is about a story of Marlin and Dory, and Nemo gets captured, and they have to go, and they journey, and they have to find Nemo. And along their way, along their journey, they find these sharks. And these sharks keep saying, fish are friends, not food. Fish are friends, not food. And eventually, the, some of their blood that gets, uh, someone gets cut, and there's blood. And as soon as those sharks smell that blood, they turn into different animals. Now fish are food, not friends. Those sharks go after Marlin and Dory. You know, does that face right there look like someone who's messing around? They look like they are ready to get out of that. They're going to do everything possible to remove themselves from that situation. They don't want to get eaten. Now, the Bible uses the word flee over 174 times. 174 times. If you go out into society, they'll tell you that fleeing is a form of cowardice. If you get in a fight and someone, uh, or if something happens and, and you run, you're a coward because you didn't want to stand there and take it. But God, He sees this as being courageous. Time and time again, we are commanded to flee. God tells us to flee. That's His way out of our being tempted. So Joseph, He made no provision for the flesh. Joseph was surrounded by these evil influences. And Joseph was in a bad situation. You know, Joseph, he could have probably gotten away with this. He could have slept with Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar may or may not have found out. But guess what? It was still sin. But, Potiphar, or, but Joseph, he did the right thing. He fled. He got outside. He ran away. And by doing this, he remained godly. He, he remained pure. God's answer for all these things for Joseph was to flee. He remained godly through fleeing. So what happened, what do we do whenever we flee? Where do we go? After we've left this temptation, where do we need to go to? The Bible tells us to go to God. The Bible tells us to go to Jesus, to church, to other Christians, to the Bible. Where do you go? 
These are the things you have to go to. These are the things you need to turn to to avoid falling into that temptation again. The Bible says in John 8, verses 31 and 32, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. One of the best examples of people who surrounded themselves with godly influences I can think of are the apostles. They were always with Jesus. And it's going to be a lot harder to give in to temptation when you're around Jesus. When you surround yourself with God, when you surround yourself with Jesus, they center their lives around Jesus. We have to do the same. Let's look at Proverbs 11, verse 14. It says, But where, but where, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In our Christian lives, we need to put ourselves in these Christian environments. We need to put ourselves uh, at church. Anytime the doors are open, we need to be here. Anytime there's a Bible study, we need to be there. These people, these Christians in our lives, they are what's going to help us get to heaven. We have to work together, help each other, build each other up, strengthen each other. We make heaven our goal together. Help everybody get to heaven. Good Christian friends are going to help us make it to heaven. So what about you? Think about your life for just a second. Are you having problems getting out of temptation? Have you made provision for the flesh? Are you surrounding yourself with ungodly influences like we talked about? Are you in a bad situation? Have you put your family in a bad situation? That's what the church is here for. That's what God is for. God can help you. He can help you get out of this situation. Get out of whatever temptation you're in. He can make you pure and whole. This morning we're going to offer an invitation. That invitation is we can, we can help pray for you. We can help you, the Christians here can help you in your life, in your walk with Jesus to remain pure, remain godly. But another thing, another invitation that we have is to be baptized. This morning, if you've been taught, if you want to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we would love to do that for you this morning. If we can help anyone here this morning, please come while we stand and sing.